Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 572 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, we'll be having a chat with George Wilson, aka Ziggy from Grange Hill. We'll natter with Richard Poynton, aka Stage Door Johnny. We'll hear from Donald Brown, athlete and sculptor. Kerry Roberts of the Willows Care Home in Codsall joins us for a chat. We'll talk to Neil Redding of the Arena Theatre about everything to do with the world of both the Arena and 1448 in Wolverhampton and beyond. Plus, we'll be having a chat with Andy Reese of Beyond the Barricade and finding out about their online work. And we'll have a natter with Gabriella as well, the ukulele lady. That's all coming up on the show this week. <laughs> George Wilson, a.k.a. George Christopher, a.k.a. Ziggy from Grange Hill, is somebody who will be a memorable face to many people in a series that held the mirror up to society back when that didn't always seem like the, the easiest thing to do. He joins me now for a bit of a chat. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Yeah, how are you with yourself? OK? I'm good. I trust we find you well. I'm, I'm, I'm as well as can be expected here. <laughs> which, is, which is all we can ask for in this world. And uh, we, we, we say that, but I mean, you've got a book out at the moment which, which details a part of the journey of, of your life. And uh, from massive success at an early age through some troubling times. And tell us a, a bit about uh, what you put down on paper. Well, what I tried to do was start the book uh, on, a, on a high, mm -hmm. really, in, around 1985, mm -hmm. when I kind of got the the part in Grange Hill, the audition process, getting the part, going to London, all the good times, all the good people. Uh, and then afterwards, there was a downward spiral of events and things that happened. And, uh, and then I basically took ill, age 21. I'd never been really ill before. I didn't know what was happening to me. And before I knew it, I was in hospital. And that's what the book is about it's the journey of, of fame the highs and lows then the really big downfall the hospitals the way i deal with everything uh to do with it all and i basically uh, in the end i kind of you know i, I come to a, a, a sort of a i'm not solution but a, but a way of dealing with it all anyway mm. and I, I live a life live a life that can be led quite happily and content, you know. It is about finding your own personal space and finding out where you need to be. It's also about, you know, the, the, the likes of having massive national TV fame, not really being able to go anywhere without being recognised. And still the case, I mean, you still have the, the boyish good looks that you, you had when you were doing the series. And, you know, that, that sort of thing, it, it puts a lot of pressure on to, to people, but equally, when that eases back and you're looking for the next role that's right for you, and we, we've seen that across the board. I mean, Granger had so many young actors in it, they couldn't all go on to, to star in soaps and, and, and everything else that, uh, that comes from that. It, it's not uh, an easy world sometimes to, to take that step back and, and, and see what is going to come next. Yeah, for sure. It, it, you know, it's not as easy as you might think. I, I mean, I did think I'd come out of it and there'd be a lot of work and I'd be doing movies, but, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen because... One of the main reasons is, especially playing a big part like I did, 
and I, and I think a lot of the guys as well found the same thing in girls is you kind of typecast mm -hmm. a lot of people in the business know you and the and the viewers know you as that character and they don't want to touch you because people are going to watch you go oh there's there's Iggy off Grange Hill you know it's sometimes it's a bit early some can crack it some went through the music route mm -hmm. and kind of done it that way you know um I never did because I was probably the worst singer in the you, show. You didn't end um, up on the album because I remember the album. I, I was that bad. I didn't sing on the album. <laughs> um, I was in the video. Um, he, he said, you can be in the video, but you're not singing. Um, but no, I wasn't a great singer. So I, I couldn't go through that route uh, like a few did and, and found fame that way and went into EastEnders and whatever and mm. London's burning for John, yeah. uh, little Johnny Alton. Um, Michelle Gale, you know, she done good for him. Sean McGuire actually done good because he went into Hollywood. Yeah, he, massive he, in the he, US. He is big over there, yeah. He, you know, he's like Brad Pitt material, uh, little Sean. So, yeah, some did, did, did crack it. And I got my Brookside, don't get me wrong. I got my Brookside for three months. Mm -hmm. Three or four months I've done Brookside playing uh, Jimmy Corkill's son, little Jimmy. But that took a good seven years yeah. until I'd done that. That was 1996, and mm -hmm. I left in the end of 88. So you're talking seven years before I I really got in front of a camera. Done a few plays, radio plays as well, but nothing of that standard of brain Jill, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean what, how do you see your career at the moment? I've just got into the writing. I mean, I've, I've wrote that... Um, I wrote the book, you know, was it last year? It was only last year I wrote it. Um, in the summer I started, and I finished in the, in the, in the, at the end of November, and I got it, I published it in the December, and out for Christmas. It was a very quick process, a lot quicker than I thought. But I went through a mental health publisher. Mm -hmm. um, that was the route I went. To, I sent it to all the mental health publishers first. I thought they might want to, want, you know, want to bite at this. And one did this chipmunker publishers they're called. They they, they they liked it and and went with it. And I, I love writing. I always have, even since I was a very young age. I used to write stories just for fun, mm -hmm. just to, for my own um, enjoyment. You know, uh, since the age of about eight or nine, I think I'd write you know funny stories or whatever. And um, I'm I'm currently writing another one right now. I've started uh, this last few weeks I'm working on a follow-up to, to the other book yeah. um, a bit different though uh, and that's that's what I want to do I, I, I like writing you know? mm. and the book itself give us the the title of the uh, of, of uh, the work that you put together looking at your life it's called it's called uh, from Grange Hill to bipolar mm -hmm. I'm back I, I had to throw the I'm back in to, to give it some Sort of, uh, you know, like a, a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, mm. I didn't want to call it from Grangeil to bipolar. Yeah. And you're stuck. You think, God, is that it? You know, there is. I put that there is kind of hope. You know, that there is a way of dealing and, and coping at the end of it all. Hence, I put the room. And you're managing your situation, um, and, but you you have to be in control of that and and taking back control. So you are you and the you you want to be. I mean, that must feel like a, a great achievement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's took a long time though. It, it you know, it, I had a, I've had five hospital admissions mm -hmm. in my life, and six months at a time, and then you lose a year afterwards through to getting over it. 
do you know, you, you, you sort of house, housebound for a while and, you know, a lot of agoraphobia and stuff and getting your confidence back. But I do get over it every time and learn each time. And in the end, it, it, it kind of boiled down to um, just living a different lifestyle to, to how I used to live. I used to live on the edge of it, you know, I'd be out a lot and drinking, partying, um, kind of don't do that no more. Okay. You know, I live a lot, I've got other interests now, um, a lot more peaceful lifestyle. My family have helped me immensely. Uh, my partner um, has been great as well, Mel, and, she, you know, she understands, and my son as well, um, mother, uh, you know, my father. Everyone kind of, <clears throat> I've been very supportive, and that's been crucial, because yeah. uh, a lot of people don't have that support network that I've had. So all these different things uh, I've kind of put in place. Plus, I'm on medication. Uh, I'm on a drug called lithium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on it for the rest of my life. I did try and come off it the last time I went in hospital, the fifth time, and it didn't work. I went uh, manic, is the word, and I ended up back in hospital. Mm-hmm. So I understand I have to take this medication, which doesn't really affect me. It's only at night I take it, you yeah. know, and it's not like 50 tablets or something a day, is it? It's just like a couple of tablets a night. So that um, that keeps your balance, basically. That stops me going too high and too low. Because that, in the end, is what all it is, bipolar. It's just an imbalance in your brain. Mm-hmm. You go either too high or too low. So this prevents that. Uh, you have to get your blood tested every every uh, month or two just to make sure everything's okay. And, you know, I kind of I kind of, um, <clears throat> have succumbed to this now, and I, and I deal with it, you know? So it is about a, a way of life. You've, you've, you've got a regimented lifestyle which uh, allows you to continue without the... The, the, the peaks and troughs, and it's it's keeping going at, at your level at uh, a sensible place for you, which which works for you, and allows you to be as functional as you as you want to be as well, and allow you to sh- to share your creativity, whether it is the, the the fun stuff that you're writing or being able to tell your story in the hope that it will also help others to to get an understanding of who they are. Well, that's that that was what I kind of hoped, and I, and I think it has. It has worked due to due to uh, the feedback I've got from people who do have mental illnesses. I've had messages via Facebook sent to me quite a lot uh, over the last since I wrote it, um, telling me that they suffer a certain thing and they're glad that I've come out and said this because they've kept it quiet most of their lives. Or maybe it could be a, a message of that they suffer the same thing but didn't know how to deal with it but now read the book it's give them a, a good tip of how to deal with something the i.e panic attacks you know there's a lot of people don't quite it's a bit of a tricky one because everyone kind of deals with it in a different way but i put my ways and then a few people uh, since then i've now tried a few of my my uh, tactics and found it works for them so it has helped uh, in in different ways really you know and it becomes a wider support circle. You've already mentioned your family who, who make a massive difference to your life and uh, you know, they're, they're there for you. And sometimes, particularly when you know, youngsters have seen success, their family's not necessarily there for them. We've seen that across you know, Hollywood, etc. Um, you know, the, the scale of what you went through, the being able to be recognised every time you went out and expected to, to be Ziggy and not George. Uh, you know, it, it, it's... 
uh, and particularly because he was such a, a, a wild character in many ways as well. I mean, that, that must have made, made it difficult for you when you were going through the, the worst moments for somebody who you've been portrayed as on screen to, to be the opposite of, of, of the moments that you were experiencing at that time. Uh, it certainly was because I was, a, I was a shadow of my former self, especially uh, when I come out of hospital. Mm-hmm. And I try and I was trying to get back into society by going out again, and, and and you know just maybe small steps in cafes or restaurants with my family, or you know just a little walk, and people would still recognise me and shout, you know, say, hey, or come up to me and want to talk to me, and mm-hmm. and, and not everyone can be friendly. You, know, you you do also get the you know a few jealous people in life and that was a problem you know especially feeling with the low esteem anyway mm-hmm. I had to just try and deal with these people and, and situations and feeling like the way I did it wasn't it wasn't nice I you know um, once I've got my confidence back it isn't a problem mm-hmm. I, I can deal with anything um, but when you're like that it, it's a, it is daunting you know. Uh, must I must admit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it does mean that when you go to a restaurant, effectively you're working, you have to play uh, a part. And if you are not feeling well enough to do that, that, that must be difficult. But again, it's, it's something that you work through, you get over, and you, you're now using the whole situation you have to, to make sure you can see the positivity, you can be that person, and you can act that a little bit when you need to as well. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The, 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 you know, you can either sink or swim, and you know I chose to to swim on this. You know, I didn't want to, you know, end up. I mean, I, mean, it was, it, it, I remember a, a doctor. It was a, it was a, it was a great doctor once. He, um, I mean, I put it in the boot, but the last time I was in hospital, I was sitting um, on a ward, and this doctor he walked past me. Actually, he didn't. He, the doctor was sitting there waiting to go and see another patient, and I asked him. I knew he was the best doctor in the uh, hospital. I sat next to him. I said to him, listen, doc, I said, I can't handle a sixth time in here. I said, I just can't take it. I said, What's, what can I do? What's the best? Can you help me, basically? I was pleading with him, in, you know, in some, not in so many words, to give me an answer. And he looked at me and he said, okay. He said, see that guy over there? He said, he will come out of there and he will drink um, probably a bottle of Jack Daniels every day. And I'd have a few beers, bottles, bottles of beer after uh, as well. You'll do that for about six months, maybe to a year, and he'll be back in here. And then he said, see that lady over there? She'll go away. She will smoke marijuana every day for the next um, two years. She'll be back in here then. And he pointed to someone else, I don't know, cocaine maybe, back in here within uh, a year. And he, he didn't tell me in so many words, but he made me think, you know, if I go out and start repeating things that I do, I'm going to end up back in here every so often. And it was it was normally every five years or so for me. Mm-hmm. Since he told me that, I, t- I stopped doing uh, everything. I just, I just, I don't even drink no more. Mm-hmm. I'll have the occasional, and a very special occasion, you know, shandy, a couple of shandies, yeah. that's about it. But I've never been drunk since 2010, yeah. 10 years ago now. Um, and this, that, the last time I was actually at hospital, uh, no, I've got that wrong. <laughs> the last time I was, I was drunk would have been about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And the, the last time I was in hospital was seven years ago. 
So since he told me that, that made me think, you know, that, yeah, that I will end up keep going back in hospital if I keep living the life I'm living. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just, I basically knocked everything on the head, you know. Well, you've obviously shown massive strength to get to this point, massive strength to get through it, even at your lowest moments. That part of you was there, keeping you going as best you could, knowing you needed help, taking that help, going to hospital, and getting what you needed to to be the other side of it. It is a trough. You've now on the up. Hopefully, with everything that's going on around you, you certainly seem to have entirely the right attitude to to what you need to do. Learned how to become who you need to be to get through this. So, I mean, fair play, congratulations, well done, and everything. I know from the way we're talking now, this is, this is you and this, this is going to continue by the sounds of it. Yeah, hopefully. You know, sometimes, the, you know, people can be masked by, by the medication. You know, they think it's not them or the, the, the personality is clouded. And maybe it is a bit, maybe I'm not quite as, um, as wild as I used to be. But as my girl says all the time, I'm a better person for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, maybe I wasn't before I was on 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 the medication and the way I was, you know, I, maybe I wasn't I was such a great guy anyway, you know. So, well, they, I mean, some things can be a symptom of the problem, even though they seem like a, a, a positive thing at the time. And it's it's knowing which to to take away, which to keep, and how to 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 be the the person you need to be. Not so much an average person, but the the the, the average level to uh, to make sure that there, there isn't a massive high, which can cause a, a huge low. Yeah, I mean that's the the scariest thing is is the massive high, you know. That's what the, that's a, if you go back over the history of of having guilt, that is the the frightening thing, the most frightening thing. You know, you can't describe how frightening it is and what you're thinking and what you're feeling, what you go through. It's just uh, pure terror, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't. That's that. It's what it is. It's what it is, and what you what we have to go through if you've got the illness. Mm-hmm. And if it stop, if the things I've stopped doing stop me going like that, it's worth every moment. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, I wish you success both with the writing, the the book, helping others, and everything that you've got going on. Success doesn't mean a high. Success is. Let's let's see it as the new normal and the way that we can see you uh, in, enjoying your life and making the absolute most of it, being there for others and sharing the talent that we know you have that we saw in those early days back on Grange Hill. Uh, it's uh, it, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing some of your story. Where can people go to get hold of the the book? It's it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Amazon uh, there for sale, but it's also on the. Um... I mean, what I've been doing is, if people want it personally signed, mm-hmm. I can I can do that. They all they have to do is PM me on on uh, Facebook. I, I I buy the books and then just sell them on, you know, a little bit more. That's no problem to me. So if you want to PM me on George Wilson on Facebook, I've I've got my house is like Waterstones at the moment. <laughs> There's books everywhere. <laughs> this is going berserk, you know, throwing books at me, you know, because they're getting in the way. But they're all, they're here anyway. I can send them out to whoever, even if it's a to Father's Day or a Mother's Day or to a girl, a girl who wants it, and who was a fan, doesn't matter, I'll send it to whatever address, you know, via um, PayPal. You, know? you can sort all of that out. 
George Wilson we're looking for, and, and there's lots of interesting characters in that. There is a picture of you on there. Uh, with I think it's Holly Willoughby you're, you're, you're posing with in that photo, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Holly. Uh, that was on that was January this year, uh, <laughs> just before all the, all the chaos yeah. I've done this morning Yeah. Um, with with Philip and Holly. Philip's been cropped out, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just me and Holly. Um, <laughs> but look out for that. That's how we find you on Facebook. Uh, so yeah. it is, uh, it's a journey, as you said, it's uh, you know, from you know, Grange Hill, bipolar and back again. It was, it's a point on the journey and it is now, uh, hopefully, it's going to stay the, the world that you deserve and uh, a good, stable place to be. George, great to speak to you. Thank you for joining us and uh, we look forward to you. you being able to share your story and help others. Yeah, yeah, no problem, yeah. You know, thanks, 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 thanks for your time as well. You know, I really enjoyed it. Sculptor, athlete, there isn't much this man can't do when it comes to the, uh, impressing people both on track and field and with their visual art. Donald Brown, hello sir. Hey Jason, how are you doing? Good uh, to see you. Good to see you too. And uh, during the time of lockdown, I suppose this has kind of messed about with your training a bit for the seniors, which I think you had planned last time we were talking. Yes, it was the European Championship that we were getting ready for in Braga. Um, Portugal. Is it Belgium, Portugal? Well, now. <laughs> somewhere. Anyhow. Somewhere in Europe. Somewhere in the world. Uh, that was been cancelled. Pretty much everything has been cancelled, Jason. Um, the Europeans, the world, supposed to be doing the World Championships in Toronto. That's been cancelled. However, um, it's looking as though we're, hopefully we're over the worst. And there are hints of possibly uh, looking at reinstating some of those championships for, for next year. So that's good news that we're looking at next year. I know that all the athletes who are preparing for the Olympics as well and the Paralympics have been hugely disappointed uh, with the, the turn of events that caused the cancellation of these things. Uh, but it has to be done. We need to keep people safe. That's our first priority. But uh, it, it doesn't stop you training, though, does it? Because I assume you've been doing that literally in the back garden. You know what? To be quite honest, after the last competition, the national championships was in March, March 8th, I think it was, um, I was so exhausted. I had a brilliant 2019 and a beginning, brilliant, a brilliant beginning to 2020, breaking two British records in my in the national championships. Mm-hmm. But I was exhausted, Jason. I was absolutely exhausted. And I said to myself, I said to my coach, I'm going to take just two weeks off doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I needed that. And so I, I did that. And the irony being, after the two weeks. And the lockdown kicked in. And you couldn't do anything anyway. You couldn't get together and, so, and train as normal. <laughs> so I've been pretty much effectively on lockdown for, I guess, uh, two weeks longer than everybody else from that perspective. And I've only just now, this is my second week of doing a, a bit of training, but nothing significant. And you know what? I've really appreciated the rest. It's my body <laughs> to rejuvenate. Uh, and again, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's, it's less incentive there's less incentivization when you don't have competitions to aim for. Mm-hmm. And now that we're hoping that things will begin to return to some quantum, some course of normality, then hopefully we can start training again. Well, it does give you that focal point of a, of a destination. And running without a destination isn't necessarily the best thing to do, is it? You know, some people can do that. I can't. I, I prefer not to. And you're absolutely right. I, I like to have targets mm-hmm. that I can plan and prepare. And I admire uh, individuals who train and train and train in the gym and on the track 
but don't wish to compete. They're just doing it to stay healthy, which is great. And, you know, that takes great discipline as well. Mm-hmm. I like to have targets and, and a focal point to aim, on, aim for. And does this mean that you've had more time to spend in your art world? Uh, obviously, uh, sculpting is a, a massive part of your life as well. And that tends to take a back seat when you're looking towards competitions. It, uh, it kind of sort of does. It is a question of sort of time management and, and balancing what one has to do. The situation I've had is being such that I can, I have done more admin work mm-hmm. in terms of networking and trying to get the kind of alliances that um, will help my company and myself to grow. And, and interestingly enough, you may have heard on the news that Donald Trump paid a visit to India in mm-hmm. February to meet with Prime Minister Modi and a Dr. Patel. Dr. Patel is one of the directors for Geostar. And mm-hmm. Geostar is the world leading expert, or they are the world leading experts in stem cell treatment. Yeah. They just received FDA approval to use their stem cell treatment to address this pandemic. And nice. Dr. Patel, <clears throat> sorry, Dr. Patel appointed me as an ambassador for Geostar which is a, a great opportunity and a, a, absolute, absolutely something that I can merge with my art because they're doing uh, sort of stem cell treatment, um, obviously through their field, and I'm doing art therapy, or so I say stem cell therapy and treatment, and I'm doing art therapy. And there's an interesting sort of uh, collaboration there. But what they like is the fact that I've achieved a, a level of success in different areas as in art, and sport mm-hmm. and public speaking uh, and they can see the alliance there being in mutually beneficial to us. Well you, you're hugely engaging to listen to I know when we have conversations <coughs> I have to I have to check my watch hang on how long have we been talking now because it can go on for ages because uh, you've got so much that is happening and particularly once we get you onto the world of art and sculpture uh, yeah, some of the great things that you've done you can just keep talking and talking to them because there's so much there so much behind it and I think that's something that we miss out on uh, when we, we don't get to, to travel as much. And, and you've been lucky enough to do that with your sports through the hard work that you've put in. And I think that's given you an absolutely excellent grounding for seeing a lot of, of, of different aspects for, from all over the world. Yeah, well, I think there's a, there's a saying that goes, well, two sayings. One, which is, to whom much is given, much is required, which I take personally. And the second one is, jack of all trades and masters of none. That's not true in your case. <clears throat> oh, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Yes, I just wanted to get out. <laughs> I truly believe that that is one of the ways, although it can be said to help people focus, it can also be said to limit people's potentials. Yep. Uh, and I grew up hearing that, that I'm jack of all trades and masters of none, and I should just focus on one thing. And had I done that, I probably wouldn't have spread my wings, so to speak, in terms of other areas, public speaking. Um, art and sports and, and being an entrepreneur and the beauty of that is one can feed the other as you grow and succeed in one area it gives you the confidence to become more competent mm-hmm. in, in a variety of areas and I mean you're a living testimony of that you do a variety of things you know and it's it, it, when you turn your hands to different things and you do so competently it gives you the confidence to take on other aspects of life that you may not even expect. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about having a rounded approach, a rounded life, and engaging those different areas that I'm passionate about. And rather than just saying, I'm just going to be a sculptor and forget the sport and the speaking and the entrepreneurship, I think that could limit 
or would limit my true potential. So yes, for me, it's about embracing life and all the opportunities that it has to offer, but being very focused on each aspect so that you don't treat them lightly and that you can succeed uh, and as I said, you can effectively network between those different skills. Yeah, well, I mean, for the, for the last couple of years, we've been trying to get to a point where we can work on an event together, but you've been too busy. I've had, I have a manic <laughs> existence as well, but we certainly need to get together and do something with that. Absolutely. But I mean, but through uh, yeah, your main piece of sculpture, I mean, where are, where are we at with that now? What's going on with the, you know, the, the main project you've been working on? Well, the Sporting Chance for Peace sculpture has been, because of certain situations that have taken place, I've had to take alternative route to achieve what I wanted, which is to get that particular sculpture into as many schools as possible. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate to have the sculpture presented to the Royal Air Force a while ago, yeah. uh, and more recently a school in Dudley, mm -hmm. in the West Midlands. And what I'm realizing, in order to expedite my agenda, which is to get the sculpture into as many schools around the world, is to make it easier by having, rather than the sculpture, having a framed print of the sculpture because the process would be a lot quicker yeah. in terms of producing more affordable and getting it done more quickly. Mm -hmm. However, there will be cases where the sculpture will be presented to particular institutions, and I know you and I have talked about that, so I will be following up on that. The interesting thing was with the situation in India and Dr. Patel, before the pandemic uh, arrived, we had agreed for me to go to India mm -hmm. and to create a sculpture in public view to bring the community together and present one of those sculptures as well to uh, a location there. So there's a lot sort of bubbling under the surface and mm -hmm. once the pandemic sort of hopefully subsides, then I can get back into um, you know the, the swing of things. And, and not to be too negative, one of the reasons for the significant delay was because I, I did pay a substantial amount of revenue to a particular company that went bust. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they are, the court case has been gone on for now, what, two, two and a half, nearly three years. Yeah. And I think basically, pretty much I've got to write that off. So I'm recovering from that, but I'm not at all in any way sort of dissuaded. And I will get back on track and things will pick up and move forward. Well, we're very much looking forward to seeing that happen. You, I mean, you've already very kindly on my behalf presented uh, a print to uh, one of my former schools, and I know that was exceptionally well received. They very much appreciated not only the thought from both of us, but also the, uh, the, the, the ethos behind the, uh, the whole sculpture and the, the, the project which runs uh, around through it. And I know you're not a man to let setbacks get you down. You will get on. It will move to where we need it to to really get this message out there and make a, a huge difference uh, and, and inspire young lives. Well, thank you. The response has been very positive. One of the elements I brought into play is the anti-bullying and violence mm. um, situation that we have, not just in England, but around the world. And so I'm now using the sculpture as a voice or a vehicle, if you will, to address that particular issue and, and a plethora of other issues. And for those who may not know of the sculpture, it, it is titled A Sporting Chance for Peace. And you can view that on my website, which is www.theglobalgallery.com. Now, that particular sculpture, what I do as, a, as a, an athlete, I've incorporated a range of different sports. And, and through sports, we can learn so much. In order to be good at sports, you have to be disciplined. You have to have respect, patience, humility, a whole range of principles that we can also adapt and use in other areas of life. And why that's important is because very often a lot of these young people 
who are encountering conflict on the streets are probably great at sports, some sport or other, and they've developed those skills of discipline and patience and so forth. But unfortunately, sometimes when they encounter conflict on the streets, they don't transfer those skills and principles to address and squash those scenarios. So I'm using art to promote that way of thinking and to let young people know they are already able to achieve the kind of communication and discipline and, and to de-escalate situations because they have to have that ability in sports to be controlled. Uh, and the response has been fantastic. And so, yes, that will be another element that will be, has been incorporated into that particular sculpture. And I would encourage and invite your, your viewers to certainly take a look at that uh, and to see and hear the meaning or more of the meaning behind that particular sculpture. Well, Donald, it's a fantastic piece of work. And um, having Thanks. seen the stages of production and, uh, and heard the story behind it with different pieces of clay coming from uh, sportsmen and women from around the world, from all disciplines, uh, it's a, a fantastic story. You need to read a post this on the website if you haven't already. Don't give us that web address again. www.theglobalgallery.com. Three words, theglobalgallery.com. There's another website. There's another website called Global Gallery. That's not me. Okay. So theglobalgallery.com. That's the one we're looking out for, and we're also looking out for your name as you continue to do your bit, shining uh, a great light on uh, the seniors for the UK. And uh, we will look forward to once you are back on the track. Fingers crossed, more success Absolutely. for you as we head through into 2021. Let me also just quickly mention that um, a young lady by the name of Sudana Singh. Um, has been following my career recently mm -hmm. and published this book that came out uh, a couple of months ago yeah. on Amazon and immediately became a bestseller. And fortunately, she was inspired or, I guess, impressed with my achievements. And there's a chapter, chapter two in here on some geezer called Donald Brown. So have a read. It's, on, uh, it's called uh, Boss Branding, Seven Ways to Craft a Legendary Brand Story. And um, it's, I was honored to have, obviously have that done. And so it's just another... It's one of those blessings that you don't expect to happen, but if you have, you know, success and you achieve certain things, people spot it, they see it, and fortunately want to share it with others through their own vehicles as well. So uh, it's been a wonderful last couple of years, and I'm looking forward to more success. Well, fingers crossed, you deserve it. You put the work in, and you're an all-round nice bloke. Donald, always good to speak to you. I'll catch up with you soon, and hopefully we can get together and work on a few events in the near future. Absolutely, and hopefully you can join on the track and do some training as well. I think I need to. It may not work out well, but I will try, okay? Absolutely. Okay, Jason, it's been lovely. Thank you very much for your time. Gabriella, the ukulele lady, is always good fun to talk to, proven even more so by the hat she's wearing at the moment. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are we doing? Nice to see you again. I haven't seen you since Christmas. I know. Last time we got together, it was uh, for the end of year quiz and we had a bit of a festive sing-along. And uh, unfortunately, we're not allowed to get together just at the moment. But uh, I've seen you doing videos singing to your garden, which I think it probably enjoyed. Oh, yes, yes. I, well, I've, I like to visit people outside their windows, especially people who can't get out. Right. And stand in their gardens and sing to them through the window. <laughs> that works. And uh, yeah. I assume that's put a lot of smiles on people's faces. But I mean, your, your music and fun is always infectious, and uh, we we do love what you do. And 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 what what else have you been? Yeah, whilst not being able to get out and about, uh, have you been up to? I've been learning the guitar with a passion. Right. Um, 
I've got a fantastic guitar teacher. He's a Mexican, but he lives in Bavaria. Right. And um, I met him at a Czech ukulele festival about <laughs> three or four years ago. Yeah. He was playing the ukulele combo, but he was playing his guitar with the combo. Yeah. And, um, we, you know, you make friends on Facebook, and uh, we just kept in touch here and there. And then um, he put. The, I found out that he was a guitar teacher, and mm. I was so impressed with his guitar playing on stage. So um, I've been having lessons from him, and he's amazing. He's got me fired up. I'm so passionate. I'm, I'm as passionate now about the guitar as I have been for 20 years, although no less passionate about the ukulele. That's good, as long as the excitement is still there, because every time you oh. pick up one of those instruments, it's a glorious sound that you make. And uh, so, so, I mean, what do you think you're going to do with the guitar work? Have you got plans there for um, you know, a second career? Well, I'm, I'm hoping just to include it, you know, when I'm out having fun with my ukulele. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a whole... I've been stuck in the year 1927 with my ukulele <laughs> because it's all novelty songs and musical, which is what I like to do. Yeah. And now playing the guitar, um, it lends itself to... I'm learning some sort of Latin and jazz and some more modern things like the Beatles. <laughs> really? You're, you're that far up to date now? That is impressive. I know. I think my most modern one is 1972 so far. Oh, the um, fine vintage. <laughs> that I remember. Well, I don't remember 1972 at all. I was born then, but it was a good year. <laughs> Rob it in, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you then chosen a new set of classics you're going to enjoy? I mean, you've mentioned going as far as the 70s, but uh, uh, when it comes to something like the Beatles, uh, have you got a full-back catalogue now of their work? Um, I've got a songbook of Beatles songs, but I haven't started on it yet. I'm, I'm a bit daunted by it. But um, no, I'm, 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 I'm kind of going in gently with nice, um, you know, um, oh, I don't know who the artists are because this music escaped me all my life. I'm only just getting into it now. Um, Joan Baez, Eva Cassidy, yeah. um, you know, these lovely sort of lyrical ballads. Mm -hmm. um, Joan Baez's work, absolutely phenomenal stuff. And you've got... Yeah. a. Uh, some fantastics for that. The album Bowery song is brilliant and a fantastic live one. I can recommend that if you're trying to get a little okay. more up to date. Thank you. I always like a recommendation because then every time I sing that song that's been recommended, I think of the person who's recommended it. So I'll find one in there and dedicate it to you, James. That'll be absolutely lovely. And uh, with you know, your performances, um, the, you know, socially distanced through windows, um, has, the, has your local area been ready for this? Were they, did they know what to expect? Well, actually, with um, the you know the hand clapping that stopped now on a Thursday, mm -hmm. um, it's very bittersweet. This is because one of my lovely neighbours and friends um, was very sick with motor neurone disease, and um, uh, his wife asked if I would come and sing outside his window every Thursday at eight o'clock, mm -hmm. and all the neighbours absolutely socially distanced, all down the lane. We'd all, they'd all be clapping and banging their pots and pans and make way for me to cycle up with my ukulele. Yeah. And they'd have a big old sing-song. Um, the acoustics just happened to be brilliant. It bounced across the houses, so it didn't need any amplification. Then the, the, the week before hand clapping ended, which we weren't to know at this time, but that's when he left us. Mm -hmm. And his wife said, please come and sing anyway to the empty window. And it was the most poignant thing. And that just happened to coincide with the last hand clap anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was really bittersweet. But everybody said, you know, if it wasn't for that, this communal getting together and singing, um, there was just nothing. It was, it's such a quiet little place, you know. And it was a highlight every Thursday at 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, the timing seems to be right for that to come to a close. And uh, you know, it's... Uh... 
such for uh, yeah, those families who have lost people and they want to smile on the faces that uh, your infectious energy I'm sure will uh, will help and uh, and do something special for them. Uh, you, now you have the youth there so you're going to sing for us now. What are you prepared to do at this point? What should we sing? Um, how about something nice and dreamy? All I do the whole day through is dream of you. Take it away. Okay. All I do the whole day through is dream of you. With each dawn I still go on and dream of you. Your every thought, your everything, your every song I ever sing. Absolutely fantastic, <laughs> loving it. So we'll expect a, a back catalogue of Beatles songs. In fact, you could even maybe do some Beatles songs on the uke. Do you think that could work? I'm sure I can eventually, because of course the Beatles and especially George Harrison were all massive ukulele fans, weren't they? Mm -hmm. They got yeah. up to all sorts of stuff. Yeah, well they were, yes, but they were, um, especially George Harrison, um, he was a member of the George Forby Appreciation Society. So uh, yeah. this could have potential. I look forward to seeing what we get here. Uh, meanwhile, though, uh, just, just briefly, tell us the story on the hat because the flowers on it are absolutely wonderful. Well, I always wear a hat. Um, someone wants, I mean, um, people try to label you and um, I've always been the ukulele lady and um, just recently I've been called the singing cyclist because I go out on my bicycle with my ukulele strapped to me and I, I sort of stop any passers-by, especially when they've got children. And I'll say, oh, I'm just about to sing a song and I need some help. Um, and the children can help me. And it's a lovely way for them. And so, we, you know, we do some children's songs in the lanes and everything. But um, someone once called me, um, she's happiness in a hat. So I feel I must never leave. If I ever leave my hat off, then I won't be happy. So I always wear it. Um, and I always, um, at the moment, I've got my Hawaiian garland in. But whenever I'm um, passing people's gardens, if I'm visiting them, then I'll pick with their permission, of course, mm -hmm. I'll pick a little bloom and stick it in there. So I've got a nice memory of everybody um, I know and visit. And press the flowers when you get home as well, that sounds like a plan. That's it. Well, yeah. Gabriella, always good to have a chat with you, ukulele in hand or maybe even guitar in the future. But yes, uh, thank you for joining us, thank you for the song oh, and oh. look forward to seeing you in real life soon. What a joy, Jason, you've made my day lovely. See you soon, take care. More than a decade beyond the barricade have been entertaining audiences in theatres across the UK, cruise ships across the world and loads of other places in between. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Andy Reese. Hello, sir. Good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm OK. I trust uh, the world is treating you reasonably well just at the moment. Yeah, well, it's all very, very different, isn't it, for, for us all? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, personally, 
it's it's wonderful getting time spent at home with the kids <laughs> and uh, doing all the jobs that I should have been doing and well, catching up on different things. Yeah. yeah, this is basically your time off for the last ten plus years because you are normally so often out on the road, your feet barely touch the ground. So uh, I mean, this, yeah. this this must be quite good for you. Yeah, I um we. As I say, it was completely unexpected. So we were in the throes of the tour, and uh, we were actually supposed to be in Australia. Now uh, we were we were going over to play some dates in Australia. Uh, so we've we've just had to kind of occupy ourselves in different ways, mm -hmm. and also plan plan for the future. But yes, you're right. I mean, uh, when I go back to the uh, the Les Mis days in in Manchester, when myself and David Fawcett were in it, and then moving the show forward. And coming out of that with Beyond the Barricade and touring, it's been, you're, you're right, it's been non-stop, absolutely. So yeah. don't get used to this though, because you are in such high demand, as soon as we can get you back out there, you will be back out there. But, uh, abs yeah, But you've just alluded to the time in the, in, in the wonderful uh, uh, Les Mis, so give, give us the background to your current set of stars. Oh, well, in Beyond the Barricade at the moment, we've got uh, the, the, the constants from the singing point of view, myself and David Fawcett. I mean, David was in the, in the West End production of Les Mis and in the Manchester touring production of Les Mis mm -hmm. and doing the role of Jean Valjean, which I guess most people will know that that's the, the lead role. Yeah. Um, my, my situation in Les Mis was a little bit different, that um, I ended up being cast in the Manchester show and then, from then, I've I ended up kind of transferring. I went on tour with it yeah. uh, to to Dublin and, and up to Edinburgh. And while I was in Edinburgh, uh, they asked me whether or not I would want to take on the role of the resident director as well. So I ended up kind of crossing crossing roles, if you like. So I ended up directing it and and being in it at the same time in in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Left it for a couple of years doing chess, Evita, and you know different different musicals. And then when I went back on the on the UK tour, it was as the resident director for the first national UK tour of Les Mis. So that was my path in it. Then in, in Les Mis, um, ah, sorry, Beyond the Barricade at the moment, we have uh, Katie, Katie Leeming, who was uh, Eponine in, uh, in the West End production, mm -hmm. and Poppy, Poppy Tierney, who played the role of Cosette in the West End and the tour. So there's always a good pedigree for everybody who's in, involved in this. And this is not yeah. only about bringing the songs from Les Mis to the stage, but also the whole world of musical theatre. And I, even something like uh, yeah, the, the Suddenly Seymour's, uh, which you're taken from Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, you guys can turn your hand to pretty much anything, can't you? Yes, it's very important for us to to not just do the kind of the massive musicals. So even now, we were just in, in, in you know, we're, just putting in stuff from the, the I mean Hamilton, of course. I mean it's mm. the massive, the, the massive new, the big show to see. Uh, you know, hopefully people can go back and see it yeah. very, very soon. Uh, but yes, I mean we've been doing songs from all kinds of different genres of music and, and keeping ourselves kind of up to date with with the current musicals, not just the blockbuster Les Mis and Miss Saigon and Blood Brothers and all of that. So, but people yeah, do so want to see that. That's the thing and. The way in which you guys can do this absolutely does all of it justice. 
Absolutely. I think um, it's, it's very important for us to, to never forget that that's where we started. <laughs> and uh, and if we ended up taking, you know, people come on, see David Fawcett, and they wanted to sing Phantom of the Opera, and they wanted to sing Bring Him Home from Les Mis. In between that, we can do other things. But if we take those musicals out, goodness me, we the audience would tell us about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all about having a fun night, and uh, you can do that with, with the talent. And also having uh, the live music as well. And I think that gives the whole ethos of a West End show, doesn't it? Yeah, that's very important to us. I mean, we've never, ever gone out onto a theatre stage and, and used click tracks or, you know, backings and stuff like that. So everything that we do is live from a vocal perspective and also from, uh, from the band. The band just works so, so hard uh, to recreate that big orchestral feel because, of course, when we're touring, particularly in the smaller theatres, of course, that we, we can't, you can't take an orchestra for cost and for, for logistics reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to. Don't get me wrong, we would love to. Um, but we're, we're in a situation where we have to create that sound. Uh, so it's very cleverly layered with the keyboards, you know, you know, strings on one hand and, you know, trumpets and stuff on the other hand. And, and uh, then Russ on the bass, he's not playing the bass, he's playing the bass and then he's playing the tuba <laughs> and then he's playing the Chapman stick, which is the upright version, electric version of the bass. So it's all these, all these different things, you know. Our drummer has got electric pads, so suddenly in Lion King, it can make it sound like African drums. So it's all very, very, you know, work on it really, really hard to make it live. And it is an enjoyable show to go and see from start to end. And it, 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 there isn't a, a, a moment where there isn't like the hair stick on the back of your neck, the the vocal range of, of you and all the other performers, like you're just an amazing instrumentalist yourself. And I'm not saying it just because you're there, but some of the stuff I've seen you do is phenomenal when it comes right, down to the playing. Um, how you do that yeah. and sing and do facial expressions at the same time is beyond me. <laughs> I, mean, I think that was, uh, that's something that you do in time. I think it's without anything else. You know, when I started, um, I, I can always remember when I was a young lad to go to piano lessons and hating every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. And and getting out of it as soon as I can, and then I get into my late teens, and I'm thinking, why didn't I learn to play piano properly? <laughs> and so I just kind of teach myself from that point onwards. So, yeah, that, that's that's where that came from, really. And are you instilling this in the kids as well? Are they are they getting a musical background? I think I think more so with. Uh, I mean, my, I've got older kids, and I mean, my older kids love music. I mean, they all do. They're, none of them are doing it for a living, so mm-hmm. which, which is pretty good at this point in time um but the younger ones yeah i think i think matilda and leo are very very keen on on doing the uh, uh, you know they love music and they love singing they bash the piano here <laughs> and uh you know hopefully hopefully they'll pick it up mm-hmm. well with beyond the barricade you've done uh, some interesting stuff online whilst uh, you've been away from actual stages and uh, there's, there's been a little look back into the history as well hasn't there i'd like Yes, that's right. Yes, uh, we, we not being able to do anything uh, live and up to date, we decided that we'd look back and see what we'd got. And so we dug out some old recordings of you know, David and myself. And uh, uh, we, we also did a choir thing where we asked uh, all of our kind of fans uh, on the BTV Facebook page to send in themselves singing do you hear the people sing mm-hmm. so we sent them a track and they layered it we we had a you know 50 or 60 vocalists singing just from random people that sat in our audience which was great fun so it's all about making new things happen um 
crazily, we we also found out a, a spooky move, a movie that we found from from 2000 that we just put on our YouTube channel, which is mental. It's absolutely crazy. It's nothing to do with music, um, but we are we are actually doing this week, which is uh, which is great great for you to to get me to come on in, uh, at this point in time because we're just at the moment doing this remote thing. So myself, Katie, Poppy, and David are going to be delivering a, a song later on this week. Um, so we're going to put that out on, at the weekend, okay. on, uh, prob so probably Sunday. We can look out for that one. So give us the details yeah. of where we need to go to, to see all of this stuff and including that new song that you're going to be putting out over the weekend to come. Okay, well, we're, we're, we're uh, all, on, all, all social media for Beyond the Barricade is, is the old uh, at BT Barricade. So that's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So the actual, uh, all of this stuff that we're putting out at the weekend will be available on Facebook. So that's, if you, if you just type in the Beyond the Barricade musical theatre tour, you, it'll come up or at BT Barricade. And on the YouTube channel, which to be honest, we've, we've neglected the YouTube over the last goodness knows how many years, so we've just discovered it again. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're kind of uploading more stuff on that uh, every week. So, uh, and again, that's Beyond the Barricade. I think it, it, it's, you'll see the logo. Um, so just go and search for the channel. We've got a channel now, Beyond the Barricade. That'll be available at the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, probably Sunday. We very much look forward to having you back in theatres. Meantime, there are things that we can see from you online. Hugely talented set of performers, absolutely brilliant work, and uh, the, the the way in in which that it comes together to show is phenomenal. And I, I, we you know we don't know what dates are going to be, but you will be at a theatre near us very soon, won't you? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, we're just waiting to find out what's going to happen. Um, you know, I just hope that people realise the situation with the, it's particularly the small theatres, those those three, four, five hundred seater theatres that that we will carry on supporting. Um, it's going to be so difficult for them to to open with social distancing. So we don't know exactly when we will be able to play those theatres again. But, but just bear with them and support them in any way you can. And obviously, it, it's a it, it, we call this this little ecosystem where we support those theatres by playing them. They're supporting us, of course, mm -hmm. because we can't do anything at the moment until those theatres open. Well, Andy Reese of Beyond the Barricade, thank you for joining us and uh, keep safe. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure. Thank you. Willow's Care Home in Codsell has been working hard to look after their residents during this difficult time. To tell us more about what's been going on and a video they've produced, I'm joined now by manager Kerry Roberts. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good stuff. Now, obviously it's been difficult times for everybody and the care sector has worked as hard, if not harder, than uh, than anyone else to ensure people are both kept safe and well cared for at this difficult time. And it, it can't have been simple for you down at the Willows. No, no. Um, yeah, we've faced our challenges over this period. I mean, I feel now that we can finally see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it has been quite difficult for us. So how many people are you looking after down there? Uh, 28. And with, I mean, that's quite a lot of people uh, to, to look after one time. It's not the largest of care homes there is out there, but it, there's still a lot that goes into making sure that they're not only looked after, but in these difficult times kept safe, particularly when they haven't been able to see their family as they normally would do. 
Yeah, I think for us that's been the, the most difficult part is um, trying to find that fine balance of keeping everybody safe um, but also supporting them with their well-being and, you know, their mental well-being um, and relatives as well. It's really affecting the relatives. So for us, we've just been trying to keep everybody busy and positive, um, uh, supporting people by doing FaceTime calls with their relatives. Um, we've now started doing like window visits so that they can see them. Uh, we're always posting things on Facebook, little videos and and pictures of what they're up to so as well as the videos of the residents that you're passing on to friends and family also the care staff put together a little recording a while ago didn't they we did yeah um the directors thought it'd be a fun idea that all the uh, care homes in the group will we'll add a little inside uh, competition to see who could do the best video get the most likes and um, and yeah we did the video and it's gone viral we've had think over 31,000 hits now so yeah we've done really well with that I didn't expect it to to be so big but yeah we had a lot of um, input with it as well we had um, a lot from our local community who we've had a lot of support from anyway uh, my partner's in the forces he he helped out with the video um, local pharmacists shopkeepers yeah everybody got involved and so how do we find that? Is uh, it just, are we Googling Willow's Care Home? Sorry? How do we find the video? Uh, yeah, if you go to the Willow's Care Home, uh, you'll find it on the page there. So look for you on Facebook and uh, you can pick it up that way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's lots of activities that you do to keep your residents uh, amused and happy normally. And obviously there's been more pressure on that because you haven't been able to bring people from in outside as you would normally do. Yeah, um, like I say, we're just trying to stay positive um, and not let it impact the residents' lives mm. too much. So, you know, although it's there in the background and we're doing everything we can, taking precautions to, to stop it from, from being in the home, um, for us, we're just focusing on keeping busy. Um, so we're having like parties in the home. Um, they're always doing different activities. We've got a new activities coordinator. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So he's always coming up with new ideas. Uh, they had a little spa day the other day, which they all enjoyed. We just, yeah, we're just keeping busy. <laughs> so lots going on and that's it's an important part of uh, making sure everybody is is well looked after and i uh, dare i ask i mean have you been able to make sure you've been able to keep the coronavirus uh, away from your residents and your staff as well i actually think that's been difficult but through ppe and uh, good business practice so far touch wood it's been okay yeah for us we haven't had any um any covid symptoms like you say touch wood in the home yet no, we're clear and we have been clear for the, the duration mm -hmm. and, and hope it, it stays that way. Yeah, and it, it's it's through the work that you're doing. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it can come from anywhere. Uh, it, we need people to ensure they are continuing to socially distance. Uh, I'm sure all your team are being as safe as they can when they have to go to the shops because we all have to go and get things in and their families are being as safe too. Uh, to, to make sure that we, we reduce that risk as far as possible. But I mean, it, it still continues to be important. And uh, I, I know your message would be, please keep keeping the whole community safe so you can protect those residents you have there. Yeah, yeah, for us that is, you know, if, if I can get a message out to everybody, it would be, you know, think of the other people that we're, we're trying to protect those vulnerable people. 
um, by staying in, you know, not going out unless it's necessary. Um, I understand it's difficult for everybody, um, but yeah, we're having to take extra measures because of where we work. So, you know, it has an impact on us. It has an impact on our families, but it's what, what we need to do to protect those most vulnerable. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Fingers crossed we don't see any problems. I know you'll be working every way you can to reduce the risk for everybody involved. But uh, keep up the good work. Let's keep getting that, uh, that video going viral. And you never know, there might be another challenge sometime soon we can look out for online from you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kerry Roberts, Manager at the Willows Care Home in Codsall, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Richard Poynton is involved in all sorts of bits of the art world, uh, in, including uh, being stage door Johnny at some interesting burlesque nights, amongst many other things. He is Trey Trey Cabaret and he joins me now for a chat. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you doing? You're all right. <laughs> Good. Uh, how, how is your world just at the moment? And not, not quite as busy and a lot less burlesque than normal? No, a lot, a lot quieter than usual. Um, yeah, very quiet and um, a bit disconcerting. I'm quite fortunate in the sense that I've got a full-time job so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still working full-time but um, I know there are a lot of full-time performer friends of mine who have uh, just had all of their work just evaporate and disappear so it's it's quite a scary time for them. You would ordinarily be booking a, a, a lot of, of people from uh, around the UK so uh, you're probably close to those who, uh, who, who aren't you know, doing as much as they would normally do at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. It's really difficult at the moment because um, obviously we don't know when this might come to an end. Um, and so the kind of the dates we're able to book for are just getting pushed back further and further and further. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's increasingly difficult to plan anything, really. And I suppose one of the problems is a lot of what you do is so heavily audience interactive. It's going to make it a bit difficult to do that online without it being the wrong sort of venue. Yeah, there have been quite a lot of um, attempts at uh, burlesque shows online, really successful attempts as well, I should add. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I know that Hebden Bridge Burlesque Festival, which is one of the biggest burlesque festivals in Europe, was due to happen over the bank holiday weekend in May, the first of the May 1st. So I think mm -hmm. it was April 30th through to May 4th, I believe. Yeah. Um, so they had to shift their entire operation um, online and it was really, really successful. Um, and they just did kind of one night only. Um, but I just think you can't really beat that that lived live experience, that shared experience mm -hmm. in a room together. And it seems like we're not going to be able to do that for quite some time, unfortunately. Yeah, whether it's feeling slightly awkward or just getting completely into the whole flow and the fun of the event, it's it's all however this sort of show works for you. And I, you know, we we see you now uh, there, and uh, you're, you're nowhere near as sparkly as you often are. I when know. We see you. <laughs> I know I'm in a hoodie. This is like Dress Down Friday, but for three months. <laughs> <laughs> the costumes are in the wardrobe. The things will kick off again. And I suppose if, if you had a chance to sit down and uh, and, and work on some new ideas whilst uh, everything's been a little quieter than normal. Um, I've been trying. Mm -hmm. I really. Have been. <laughs> But I think what's been tricky is obviously there's just so much to, to deal with in the world that mm -hmm. I've, I actually found being creative really difficult because all that's on my mind is kind of, of things that are happening globally at this moment and it's it's very difficult to kind of shut that out. Um, and also I'd, it's really difficult to try and think whether, whether you want to write about COVID and mm -hmm. things that are happening or whether people are going to kind of completely want to forget it when they actually are able to have a night out. It is 
often about trying to find the the escapism from that and that's what the arts brings to us and, and we haven't got that to, to help us through so easily at the moment. Definitely and I think in terms of the broader theatrical world I've seen some um, live streams of, of theatre shows but I think there's actually a really uh, I did a, went to a performance went to a performance um, <laughs> uh, by a company called Coney last night mm-hmm. uh, and they've actually created a piece specifically for Zoom um, called Telephone um, and I think there's actually a really interesting point now where people are specifically making work for that particular medium rather mm-hmm. than just streaming stuff that they've already got. Yeah. Um, so I think there's actually some really exciting things coming out of this of this restrictive time, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, and what do you want to do next? Because there's always a new project with you. And uh, so we, we've seen Trey Trey Cabaret doing absolutely fantastic stuff. And uh, long may that continue. I'm not suggesting you stop. But, uh, you know, th- there is always something you know, interesting. Uh, often that you, you do some bits and pieces in the Amdram world as well, just for uh, uh, a bit of a, a tickling of the acting muscles, I suppose, too. But, you know, what, what else is, uh, is going on in that mind of yours? Well, a few things ticking away up here. Um, so just before lockdown happened i'd launched a kind of a bingo show mm-hmm. uh, a bingo cabaret called um bingo hun um and we did one show and um we'd got one planned for october so fingers crossed that's able to go ahead but mm-hmm. um that's going to come back um for sure in a kind of developed way because um yeah that kind of just came out of the fact that i just wanted to do a bingo show and i didn't really know what it was going to be like or <laughs> or how it was going to work but people really loved it and the response was amazing um and i do have a few ideas about um some other theatrical projects that i'd like to get off the ground because it's just given us a lot of time to really take stock of things that we really wanted to do and mm. it's I think only in these situations where you're put in a situation where you can't do those things that it really makes you kind of consider what it is you actually want to mm. want to be doing and i can see you doing the bingo show online that could it be an interesting one for again for a, a zoom call or a, you to be spotlighted in some way on there. That would be uh, an intriguing one to make. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, um, I've got a bit of a sparkly shirt. Oh, okay, so sparkly, sparkly yeah, shirt, ahoy. I might have done a private um, bingo show for uh, someone's birthday. Ta-da! There we go. That is a bit of quality. So um, so the costumes are there. I've got my bingo balls. All we need now is the people and some cards. It's fine. Okay, well, I think there could be a downloadable printed home version that could possibly happen there. That could uh, that could work. But, I mean, loads of fun to be had. And, as uh, I say, things will be back at some point. Give us the details of where we can find you and what you are doing online at the moment. So, in terms of Trey Trey Cabaret, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, all with the same handle, at Trey Trey, T-R-E-S, T-R-E-S, Cabaret, C-A-B. A-R-E-T, and um, you can also give me a follow as well as at Stage Door Johnny, which is all one word, no gaps. And some amazing fun to be had there, and you never know, that sparkly shirt could be back online before you know it. For sure. We'd like to see that. Richard, good to speak to you, keep up the good work, and we're very much looking forward to your return to uh, both uh, amusing, uh, sometimes torturing, and uh, putting smiles on the faces of your audiences uh, across the region. It's very consensual torture. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. It's really good to see you. The Arena Theatre and the 1448 Festival in real life are two things we're missing during June. I've got Neil Redding on the line now to tell me more about what's going on and what isn't going on. Hello, sir. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I trust we find you well and full of life. 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, given the circumstances, doing very well. Absolutely, and uh, I say you know, we, we're missing an awful lot of stuff. And uh, normally, you'd have a, a brilliant program of uh, shows taking place at the arena. You're still working on new programs, which will be through a new way of presenting things at some point. But 1448 just hasn't stopped, has it? No, well, you, you can't stop 1448. I, I don't think the uh, the guys over at Leicester a couple of weeks after we went into lockdown. Uh, had a bit of a conversation about how they might carry things on, and so they they started 1448 working from home, which has has been going for I think we did our tenth week this week or eleventh week anyway. It's it's been every uh, every Tuesday uh, night for the last um, the last ten weeks at least. Um, we've been doing just a couple of plays um, rather than the usual 14 um online but but the plan is to carry on for another four weeks so that we get to um 14 nights uh during <laughs> lockdown that, that we'll have done so yeah it's been really exciting and, and people finding new and innovative ways of making theater and, and working together and still collaborating and and keeping a little bit of the 1448 spirit alive mm. um until we can get back into a, a, a venue in the real world uh and do it do it again the way we the way we normally do and the way we love to do it Oh, well, yeah, the output has been pretty much relentless, a constant stream, literally a stream, of fantastic new material. And I've been dropping in and out of that. Um, and even just the, the intros and preparing for the events has been so much fun. And that's because there's such a, a fantastic team of creative people around. I think the one I feel most sorry for when it comes to the fact we haven't got a 1448 in Wolverhampton is Pove, who would normally be sticking things together and making stuff. And because she doesn't get to do that at the moment. No, I mean we we over the weekend that we should have been in Leicester doing the the normal 1448 festival in Leicester, we did a slightly bigger version where we did four plays um, for two days on the Friday and Saturday, and we did have a design team uh, for that weekend, but it was very much about putting together videos and uh, sections in between things and working out what you could do with digital backgrounds and yeah there wasn't much call for Pove and her glue gun unfortunately and uh, and I think she is miss missing it um, there's some talk about us maybe being able to get back into the arena for a couple of days to uh, to maintain some of the equipment and look mm -hmm. after some of the things that need some attention and as soon as we mentioned that Pove was like oh if you if you if you're anywhere near my face paints can you get hold of them for me? <laughs> um, yeah I think she She's missing the uh, missing the creativity while we're we're in this situation, but um, I'm sure we'll be back. And uh, and we're we're very keen that basically as soon as we can, once we're back in the building and we've we've got some sense of normality back, and we can safely manage 70 people in the building, trying to make some theatre that will will absolutely uh, will absolutely do it again. So we we might not have to wait until June 2021. We might be able to. Uh, squeeze a festival in in between hopefully fingers crossed let's let's see what happens yeah that would be good to, to see and uh, as I, the, the the world of the arts has, has kept going in, in new and innovative ways because that's what the world of arts does and it has toyed a bit with stuff online uh, but as it well knows financially supporting yourself with that is a nightmare and we're talking about performers uh, from all you know parts of the world of art who are taking part in things like this and there is no money there at the moment, or relatively little, and monetizing things is hard work. And when there's so much free stuff, people wonder, well, why should I pay for things? And I think, you know, as somebody who is making sure the arts is alive in the city and is so passionate about it, it must be quite painful for you to see in some ways the amount of stuff that you've been taken for granted. Yeah, it is. It is really difficult. Um, and I think uh, you're absolutely right. There is so much quality um, 
out there at the moment. It's it's a really great time actually in terms of, of access for for people to to theatre work because, um, you know, just just the example of what the National Theatre are doing on a Thursday night. They're sharing shows which the vast majority of people would never be able to get to either because of geographical restrictions or financial restrictions or or you know just just life getting in the way. You know, going all the way down to London to the National Theatre and you know you're probably looking at spending three hundred four hundred pounds to make that happen. Um, it's not something that everyone's uh, got available. And the vast majority of people now have got an internet connection and access to YouTube. Um, and so to be able to get hold of this this theatre at this at this time is, is really important. I think what's it, it is difficult, and for smaller venues like ourselves, it's it's a real challenge. But I think one of the things that it's doing is that it's it's in informing people that that's an option and that's a choice. And I think what we're going to see over the next couple of years is venues like the arena, um, like the other fantastic venues across across the city in the black country and other fantastic venues around the country, um, we're innovating already. We're already having conversations about how do we make this happen? How do we keep this going in the real world? And and when we're back, how do we keep this, this democratization really of, of the arts, which is really exciting? So can we offer streaming? How can we monetize it? How can we get people to use it as a gateway into our venues? Mm-hmm. Um, can we, you know, take advantage of this? Some of those national theatre live streams have had over a million views, and that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for the, uh, the the fourteen forty eight working from home festival has had over ten thousand views. That's an audience that fourteen forty eight could never get inside a building. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't happen. So even if we were sold out for our runs we couldn't get anywhere near those kind of numbers so it's really exciting in a way it's it's really difficult at the moment because we we can't be in a venue generating that income which is going to allow us to continue doing those things and it is going to come down at the end to um government intervention to to save a lot of places and a lot of venues and 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 we hope that that between them and the arts council that support keeps coming um but actually as always, as you said, we're an innovative group of people. We're a creative group of people. That's what we do. And we're trying to keep that moving and keep that. What's the new way of doing this? You know, if when the arena reopens and it will reopen, we're only allowed 20, 30 people in our auditorium. How do we make sure that we're still serving the people of Wolverhampton and, and, and the black country? How do we how do we ensure that we're still getting out to those people? And streaming seems to be the obvious option um and we're, we're already looking at it we're having very serious conversations about how we can do that when, mm-hmm. we're, when we're back because we know that when we reopen we're not going to open the, the doors on a monday morning and on friday night have 150 people in the auditorium that's not the way it's going to work mm-hmm. probably for the next year maybe two years so so how do we keep doing what we always strive to, to do which is make the theater accessible to people Actually, one of the things this lockdown has done is it's answered a lot of the questions that we've had for for a few years, really, about can we do this as an audience for this? How do we manage it? How do we, you know, monetize it? And and I think that's what we'll see. We'll see a shift over the next year from these things, which at the moment for people's morale and people's mental well-being are being offered for free. I think we'll see a move towards a, a paid system. I would very much expect that within the next 12 to 18 months, there will be something uh, which looks like a Netflix for theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a couple of those services out there at the moment, but they're not particularly, um, they, don't, they don't have a particularly big audience, they don't have a particular spread, but I think one of those will probably rise to the surface and then what i think is important is if 
it, when it, when a service like that comes along, that there is a level of democracy to it, and mm. it isn't just your national theatres and your Royal Shakespeare companies and your Andrew Lloyd Webbers who are able to put content on there and receive financial recompense for that, but that venues like the Grand Theatre, venues like um, Royal Exchange in Manchester, venues like the Birmingham Rep, and and then venues like ourselves, the smaller um, uh, community venues, can also get access to those platforms and share the work. Um, that they're doing, and it and it is going to be a, a huge shift in the in the industry. But it's one that we've probably been thinking about for the last five or so five to ten years. But this has given us an opportunity to actually be able to do it, um, and we've had to do it, which is often the best way to make things happen. You mm. have to do them, and then they happen. Yeah, when something's enforced, it makes a difference. And we need to get past the idea that paying for something is a paywall. Now, that's something that the newspapers came up with and it sounds horrendous and puts people off. You've got to think of it as an electronic virtual ticket to something that you want to see. Uh, also, I mean, you, you talked about yeah, the, the, the theatres putting stuff on and we've got to do it in such a way as it doesn't negate the tour because the tour of so many shows is what really keeps regional theatre alive and it brings in 100% the best way these shows to people. And then when you're looking at seeing what the National Theatre have done uh, with shows on screen, it's not quite the same as being there, but it does bring a flavour of that. So, you know, it, it, it is going to be finding a balance in the new future and, and seeing how we can make this new way work and provide some brilliant theatre at a cost-effective price for those who just can't get there anyway, uh, and still at a sensible price for those who would normally go. And because yeah, tickets for, for theatre shows aren't cheap because of the product you're getting, you're getting real people on stage. It's not like a film where okay, you may spend millions, uh, but you've still got millions of people who can see it. You're actually spending money each time somebody walks out onto that stage. And whether it's you know, 150 seater capacity at the arena, 1100 plus at the Grand, uh, or you know some stadium venue with yeah, a lot of people seeing a, a show that way, it's it's got to be cost effective, and you've still got to pay those people on stage the sort of rate of pay that you want to get. Absolutely, and and that's that's going to be the key bit of it really is to work out how do we make it work and it, we're starting to see it already a couple of venues are already now starting to toy with the idea of selling tickets the old Vic are reviving lungs and they're, they're, they're selling tickets there and we're watching you know we're watching with real interest into how it works for them um, I know that um, uh, there, there's a company called the Original Theatre Company who had two shows on tour when, when lockdown hit and they managed to get them both recorded they're you know, incredibly uh, incredible foresight from them that they, they managed to get them recorded and they put them out and they've done really impressive numbers in, in the number of people who've been willing to pay for the product um, and I think we see that anyway we, we, we already know that people will pay to go to the cinema to watch the NT live mm -hmm. um, broadcasts which are, which are significantly cheaper than buying a ticket at the at the venue itself and um, you know at the national theater and you don't have to travel which is a bonus um, and the evidence seems to suggest that what NT Live has done is it's encouraged people uh, who've never been to the theater before to, to try the theater after they tried the NT Live mm -hmm. they get a, a, more of a flavor of what it is people who've never been to a theater before and maybe find them intimidating or scary or, or whatever have seen NT Live and oh actually maybe it is for me and have gone along I think with it being in people's living rooms, you've gone a stage further, um, and and hopefully even more people will try it, and and hopefully venues like the arena where our ticket prices are really modest, where we do work really hard to uh, make our, our theatre accessible for people, um, uh, where we do have have you know conversations with with 
groups who would otherwise find access to the theatre difficult um, hopefully will benefit from this because they will have seen this fantastic world-class work um, and then you sort of have to make the argument to them, well, actually, did you know that there's world-class work going on just down the road mm-hmm. um, on Warfarina Street in the city centre? And, and it's not on the same scale. You're not going to see this, you know, these huge uh, sets and these incredible, you know, world-famous actors. But you're going to see incredibly talented people asking really important questions and um, presenting really engaging uh, drama and dance and music and things that you can be part of. And for the price of a cinema ticket, you can come to the arena and watch watch things live in front of you. And this whole recovery process that we're going to go through over the next few years is going to be a real partnership, I think, between the cinemas, the smaller theatre venues, the bigger theatre venues, the national venues. We're all going to have to work together and share, um, which we do anyway to a, to a point, but I think it's going to require a real effort to protect this industry. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh, you know it, it, we're a huge contributor. We're a, we're a net contributor to the economy. We we always well we have been for for, for decades. Yeah. Um. And and people need it as well. They need the morale boost. It, it's why we're seeing these fantastic viewing figures. And and it's just about converting it to our scale really. And and hopefully. Yeah, we're always really proud of our program at the arena, and um, and it's been a real shame, sort of, as the weeks have gone by, sort of ticking off the shows mm. that have not come to us. Yeah. Um. And I think we've managed to 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 postpone rather than cancel about ninety ninety five percent of the program. So mm. with the fantastic work that we were bringing, we should still be able to bring at some point in the future. Um. But also, there's new stuff. There's new innovative stuff. You know, we. Myself, I worked on a play a couple of weeks ago with a with a company that went online, and and we did a we did an audience of over eight hundred for that. You'd have to sell the arena out for a, over a week to do those kind of numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's just about that transition now. About how do we get people to to part with not a huge amount of cash, but but a small amount to buy a ticket to sit at home and and have that that experience and. And and people are doing it anyway. They're paying four pound fifty to stream the latest movie on on you know Sky Movie. So why wouldn't they pay the same um, to watch to watch a piece of theatre? Yeah. The the key for us at the arena is getting the te- technology right, so that we can put out a stream that is of the same quality and yeah. of the same standard. Um, we we want to try and see if we can move quite quickly towards a world where. It's not just a GoPro stuck in the grid somewhere, but actually we've got a fairly strong sort of broadcast quality um, streaming offer, and, and that's what my team are working on right now to see if we can we can do that for for um, hopefully within this year, so that we mm-hmm. can start offering experiences for people again. Yeah, and you'd hope to put a whole new world as well because you'll need more human camera operators. There'll be some technology that'll do things, but you either want someone driving automated cameras or real people who can follow the action. And it, it is about the stuff that goes on in the background at the theatre. You should always watch the whole stage, never focus on just the one performer, unless it's a one-person show. Uh, so, you know, it, and even then there's things that happen. So, you know, it, it is about the, the, you know, the whole visual landscape of it. It's not focused the same way theatre and television, sorry, film and television is. It is, theatre is, a whole 3D immersive experience. And I think that's hopefully what people will start to realise is kind of going on in what they're seeing on their flat screens at home and then can turn that into a 3D thing and and interact with it a bit more. You never know, we might even see decent 3D uh, stuff online at some point where you can make theatre happen that way. That'd be fantastic.
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing that we're sort of hopeful for and, and, and I suppose relying on to a point is that at some point people are going to want to gather again mm-hmm. um, and actually people are going to really yearn for gatherings. You know, we I think we've seen it already with the, you know, the, the last couple of weeks and things starting to ease a little bit and how, how desperate people have been to see family and friends and, um, and just to share communal experiences. You know, mm-hmm. for most of us over the last three months, we've seen the people who live in our house and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually we're social creatures. We, 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 we crave, uh, you know, a, a social interaction and, and actually sharing an experience um whatever your response to it mm-hmm. is really important and i think that desire to be with other people and you know whether you converse with them or not that that idea of being in a room and sharing something with it with a group of people it's a it's a basic kind of human desire i think mm-hmm. and so um and so yeah i think it's it, it's certainly not going to be that 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 that's the exclusive way that we go online but actually how do we expand our community by using that online platform and and uh, and blending it with the people who are in the building? Yeah. You know, blending between a live audience in the room, but also an audience at home who can contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as well, one of the things that theatre has to be aware of is we, we you know, generally we have a, a an older audience across across venues in 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 the UK. Our audiences tend to 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 skew older, and and the likelihood is that older people are going to be the ones who are the last ones to re-enter sort of communal experiences. And so um, while that might sort of help our audiences by by making, you know, bringing in a younger audience for us because they'll be um, looking for those experiences, uh, we still need to serve our our older audiences Mm. and certainly getting a lot of feedback um, uh, from communities at the moment that the um, sort of digital literacy of the older the older audience has, has massively improved over the last three months you know mm-hmm. that that people who who had never even used YouTube had never even been to the website are now sort of aficionados and are seeking out obscure <laughs> Eastern European you know theater experiences <laughs> in that way and, and that can only be a good thing mm-hmm. um, for the industry if we get the the monetization right then uh, you know i think it it's going to be much more the norm i think that mm. the people will will experience and uh, things in that way um and hopefully it'll it'll stretch people's um horizons as well people will try things that they, they never thought they'd try before and that's always been what the arena's been about it's Absolutely. always been about why don't you come in and watch something that where you haven't heard of the person who's in the lead role and you don't know what the story is and you don't know what we, we might be able to you know we might be about to uh, talk to you about mm-hmm. in, in this particular piece but just come in and, and trust us that that it's it's at the arena it's quality so um come and have a, an experience with us and i mm-hmm. think that's that's what we're going to be striving to get back to as, as soon as we possibly can. Absolutely. And also, hopefully, uh, these small pots of uh, ginger and honey ice cream, which I'm missing terribly as well. Yes, and, and of course, and, and, and one of the things we're, we're currently working on, obviously, is, is recommence planning. You know, when can we get back in? How is it going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought I would have so many conversations about, about different ways of being able to serve drinks and ice creams, <laughs> one-way systems, and, but, yeah. and you know, how, how do you make that work? It's, I suppose it's, it's really opened our eyes mm-hmm. to how much we take for granted the kind of the day-to-day mundane bits of our business mm-hmm. what we do on stage is often sort of miraculous and, <laughs> and magical and requires 
you know huge leaps of, of imagination and creativity to make certain things happen you know how do you how do you make a victorian steam train go through a 150 seat auditorium one of the problems we had you know but actually I could do a thousand of those in the lunch hour, but work out how do you get 150 people safely in, uh, through your building, you mm. know, in a time of social distancing. Those are that's really stretching creativity to its to its limits. And um, <laughs> but if anywhere yeah. can the arena can, we know that we'll work it out. <laughs> Give us a list of streams for now, and of course the all important website where soon you'll be able to buy tickets. Yeah, so arena.wl.ac.uk is our website, although there's 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 not much running through there at the moment. Um, everything that we're doing, and there's so much going on at the moment, there is uh, 1448 working from home. Um, we did a project with Bloom Theatre, which which you'll you'll find up uh, on our streams as well. Um, there's more 1448 to come for at least the next four weeks. Um, there are some other projects that we're working on. There's a great opportunity for young people to write a monologue. Um, and when we're back open, we're going to get some professional actors in to do a night of monologues mm -hmm. based on writings that young people have done during lockdown. Um, you can find all of this and more. There's an incredible project going on with Flexus Dance who are, are, are doing probably more than they would do in the real world yeah. um, online. You can find it all through our Facebook page, and that's the best place to go. If you go to the Arena Theatre Facebook page, which I think... <laughs> is at facebook.com slash arena underscore theatre. And I can almost hear Sam in the marketing department shouting at me because I've got that wrong, but you'll find us. We're on Facebook. Um, that, yeah, that's where most things go. <laughs> um, and you'll find those streams. Well, Neil, always good to talk to you. Fantastic you work that you guys do. And we look forward to having you back sometime in the future. But in the meantime, we can't miss out too much because you're providing us so much content online. Thanks again. No problem. We'll look forward to seeing everyone back soon. <laughs>